0: Our third scripture lesson this morning is 1st Corinthians, chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. The word of God for the people of God. Author of life, we thank you for your words this morning, and we ask that your spirit would be with us that we might truly know what it is to love. Amen. This morning's scripture message is likely familiar to many of you. This is one of those passages that pops up time and again in wedding ceremonies. On the one hand, I understand why we use this verse to bless marriages. It's such an inspirational or such an aspirational passage about love and it sets a goal toward which every relationship should strive. On the other hand though, I feel like we don't do justice to the message contained in these words when we think of it as the wedding passage. When we isolate this passage from the rest of our lives in this way, we wrap it in a sugary sweet coating that obscures its impact. It gets swept up in a wave of emotion and nostalgia that undercuts how radical how life-altering this notion of love really is. We can start to bear in mind the weight of this passage when we place it in the context of its audience. Paul is not writing to the Corinthians because everything is going fine. He's writing to them because they are a church on the edge of explosion. They're fighting with one another about what it means to be a Christian. If there's a point on which to disagree, then the Corinthians disagree about it. From sexual ethics to interacting with those outside the church, to who even gets to belong in the church, to how to partake in the Lord's supper, to what it means to live in a Christian household, even in fact, as to whom they follow. This letter begins with us learning that rather than all identifying as followers of Christ, some are claiming that they follow Paul, while others claim to follow Apollos or Cephas. And it's into this divided, polarized atmosphere that Paul injects the beautiful words that we heard today. In the face of hatred, anger, and exclusion, Paul speaks love and truth. Perhaps it will help to rephrase some of the language so that we can hear anew what it is that Paul is really saying here. It does not matter how eloquent a person is or how big their vocabulary, if they don't speak in love, everything out of their mouth is ugly noise. It doesn't matter how smart a person is, how insightful their observations or how powerful their reach, if they don't have love in their hearts, they amount to nothing. It doesn't matter how generous a person may seem if they act out of self-interest rather than love then they will gain nothing. Love, in other words, is the beginning and the end of what it means to be human. It is in the moments when we have love in our hearts when we speak and act with love that we are truly living the life that God means for us to live. As I Think about this passage, it dawns on me that perhaps it is appropriate that we've come to so closely associate this with marriage. After all, it is at least in part the matter of marriage that is now causing us to mirror the bad behavior of our Corinthian siblings. As we near the session of general conference at the end of this month, we would do well to keep in mind today's passage as we observe the events that unfold. There will be many speeches, many people with great knowledge and great power determining how we will move forward. But without love, what will those speeches amount to? Without love, what will the church gain? And we must not confuse the tone of people's voices for the words that they are speaking. History has shown us time and again examples of people who can speak hatred like honey. Instead, we must listen for the values behind the words. Love is patient, does not demand immediate obedience. Love is kind, does not tear others down. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It lifts others up, respects others, and even admires difference. Love does not insist on its own way. It is welcoming and accommodating. Love is not irritable or resentful. It is graceful and forgiving. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It doesn't deal in the shadows, but in the light of day. And as we think about the body of Christ in the global church, let us also reflect on our own behavior. We are all on a path to perfect love. But as Paul says, for now we see in a mirror dimly. We don't have all the answers. We don't have perfect knowledge and so we do our best. And in a moment of decision making, I would always rather have God judge me for being too accepting. I would rather offer the love of God over and over again than be the last straw for someone questioning whether or not God loves them. Two years ago at annual conference, there was a heated discussion about human sexuality. And in the midst of the growing tension and frustration, a young person stepped up to the microphone, revealed that they were bisexual, and confessed that they had times that they did not know if the church in which they had grown up loved them. This moment of vulnerability brought an immediate change to the room. Suddenly, this wasn't just some abstract discussion about a group of people off somewhere. It was a discussion that visibly affected someone right in front of all of us. Everyone in the room was reminded that even if the love of God is infinite and unconditional, we have the ability to make people doubt that. With our words and our actions, we can present ourselves as gatekeepers to God's love. Now of course, the opposite is also true. We can act and speak in ways that invite people to share the love of God that is shed abroad in our own hearts. And there's perhaps nowhere else that we as United Methodists embody the notion of welcoming love quite so well as at the communion table. When I say that all are welcome at God's table, I am in fact making a somewhat controversial statement. We don't believe that people aren't welcome because they aren't worthy enough. We don't put limits on the extent of God's grace. We don't try to claim ownership over a feast at which we are guests as well. We believe that all of God's children are able to come to God knowing that they will be met with love. And when we truly practice communion as openly as we should, then we do at last set ourselves apart from the Corinthians. They had abandoned the communal aspect of the Lord's Supper. They gathered with those whom they liked, those who were already in the inner circles of power and wealth. They left the hungry and the poor out in the cold. So Paul gave them this instruction. So then my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If we deny people a place at our table, then we've failed to wait for one another. If we think that we have some special claim to God's grace, then we'll gain nothing at all. The communion table is one of our best chances to rehearse the kingdom. At the table, it doesn't matter your race, your economic class, or whom you love, because all are beloved by God. God is love, is love, is love. Amen.